This is the Beautiful Writers Podcast. I'm Danielle Laporte, and I'm here with Linda Sievertson, where we are chatting with some of the most amazing authors, publishing leaders, and creatives. Between the two of us, Linda and I have written something like 12 books, including our co-creation, Your Big Beautiful Book Plan. And we're here because we love this game. We love everything about the publishing industry, about getting ideas out into the world and being as creative as you possibly can. This all started with us interviewing some of our favorite agents and fellow authors for a membership group that we have called the Beautiful Writers Group. And because we don't believe friends should let their friends write alone, we are sharing the interviews with you. So for the next 45 minutes, because 45 minutes is a new hour, we will be digging deep and going for the light. Welcome. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is a big, beautiful writer's interview with myself, Danielle Laporte, and Linda Stevenson, and featured creative author, angel, rock star today is Kyle Gray. And off the top, we let you know where you can find all of us. So you know that you can get me at daniellelaporte.com. Linda is always rocking it at bookmama.com. And you can find Kyle Gray, that's Kyle, K-Y-L-E, Gray with an A, G-R-A-Y.com. And we're all over social media. So, Linda, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm terrific. And I can't wait for this interview. I've been reading his books and I am riveted. The reason, everybody, that we are bringing you Kyle today is because he's got the perfect melange. I'm feeling very French today, so I'm going to use, I'm going to try to use as many <laughs> French words as I can in today's interview. It's the perfect melange of experience. So, Kyle, for me, is really fresh. Like, you're going to hear that. Kyle as an individual is really exceptional and has some very special gifts and that makes him very unique as a being. But in terms of the creative industry, he's young. He has a number of books and now a growing line of Oracle decks under his belt. He's a great example of someone who is diversifying in their career. And I want to get into that about how Kyle is actually building a platform and the various streams of income. So there's lots here to unpack in a very short amount of career time because Kyle is like fresh on the scene. But before we get into it more deeply, let's start with our usual prayer. And it goes like this. We're here now to give witness to a shared truth that absolutely everything is progress, that we have all that we need, and that brilliance is unfolding here and now. Mm. Linda, do you want to tell us more about Kyle? Sure. So the official bio is that Kyle is an angel communicator. How official is that? <laughs> he is tattooed and 27 years old and hip and hot from Scotland and brings a very laid-back approach to spirit and spirituality. This yoga-loving dude woke up to the spiritual world at just four years old when he saw and communed with his deceased grandmother. Love that. would love to hear more about that. After years of hiding his intuitive talents, Kyle decided to come out and share his gifts and has dedicated his life to helping other people crack open to the angels with workshops, coaching, and books. And he's the author of four books and a deck series, including Angel Prayers and Wings of Forgiveness. Wings of Forgiveness had me on the edge of my seat this morning. So if, if mm. any of you, after this call, go to Amazon.com, press that little thing that says, look inside and read the opening. And I dare you not to buy it. <laughs> I ordered it instantly. Mm. So I won't give any more away. But thank you for being here, Kyle. We love angels and we love you. 
Oh, thank you so much. That's just so fun already. <laughs> <laughs> My head's already getting bigger. I'm like, this is brilliant. <laughs> I want to do a quick walkthrough of your material, of your books, of your quote product. And just give us like a one or two sentences on how that product came to be, how old you were when you wrote it. Just a sort of little mini bio on each one. So I think it's book number one, Angels Whisper in My Ear, Incredible Stories of Hope and Love from Angels. What's the behind the scenes story on that? Behind the scenes story, it was actually, there's a funny one, a ghostwriter wanted to write that book. And so I co-wrote that one. I was 21. It published when I was 24, and I've just rewrote it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's the first one. All your stuff is with Hay House, is that correct? Yeah. Hay House UK. They were, Hay House, yeah, Hay House UK. They were the publisher I wanted, because I knew that if I was going to write this story, I didn't want it to be fluffed up, and I didn't want it to be changed to some sort of editor's, sales idea. And Hay House were the publisher that were quite happy for me to be who I was without needing to be a specific person. Nice. Mm, it's important. Uh, yeah. Angel Prayers, Harnessing the Help of Heaven to Create Miracles. That was the book I wanted. I was doing angel reading professionally from the age of 16 on and off. And I wanted a book that I could pick up and look up an A to Z list of prayers to give people if they had a problem with a specific thing. And so many people pray out of lack, and I wanted to create a prayer system that prayed out of plenty. And so I decided to write the book. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's mm. one of my favorite ones. Okay, so I'm going through your books and products off of the Amazon Canada page. <laughs> so you have two major products out in one year. So Angels, How to See, Hear, and Feel Your Angels, yeah. came out in January 2015. And then your most current book, Wings of Forgiveness, came out in April 2015. So tell us about both of those. So Angels, the basics book, was part of a series of books that all were launched at the same time. Hay House UK had this idea of creating like an essential guide to different subjects and A was the first letter and angels came up quite quickly. It was the book my agent at that time did not want me to write because the advance was far too low mm -hmm. and the advance was less than one event basically yeah. uh, that I would do. So it was an interesting thing. I asked in meditation if it was a book that I should write and I got the yes so I wrote it in India and it's this book that strips everything back it takes away all of the fluff and all of the bullshit around angels and just gets to the point and say what they really are and how you can connect with them and now that that book is out do you feel any inner conflict between the little money that you got paid with it and having it out in the world? You know what? Um, when it actually came to that book, the money thing didn't matter anymore because I really love it. It's oh. like a really good book and I can really look at it and feel proud of it because it's like if someone had no idea what an angel was, they'd never heard of it, they could pick it up and get like 
a modern idea of what an angel is and how they can incorporate that unconditional love into their life. So, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Mm, do it for the love. Okay, yeah. um, and then Wings of Forgiveness? So Wings of Forgiveness was um, <laughs> such a funny deal. I had had this experience with forgiveness all the way through my life, different people needing forgiveness, <laughs> um, different kind of ups and downs. Um, you know, I, I can maybe tell a story later. You know, clients that went through horrendous ordeals and I thought, I really need to write a handbook on how to forgive. But it was actually a lucid kind of dream meditation where I thought I'd seen, uh, I'm going to sound really out there now, uh, Mary Magdalene. And she told me that she was here to write the book of forgiveness with me. And uh, so I decided that I would do it. And the next morning, the director of Hay House UK, Michelle Pelly, who is amazing, called me and said, we'd like to do another deal with you. And I'm sitting in the barber chair and I said, I'd like to write a book about forgiveness. And she said, great, I'll give you a deal by the end of the day. I sent her a hundred words on my idea (laughs) and she bought it. It was my biggest deal ever. No. (laughs) And I bought my mum a new kitchen with it. <laughs> I love it. With a hundred words. Uh, yes, and it was so cool because I got to take eight months off. I decided that I could work through the writing or I could really make it a pilgrimage. And I took eight months off work and I allowed that money to hold me together. And I wrote something that I think it will be the most important thing I ever do. Wow. Mm-hmm. Beautiful story. I love it. Okay, and then let's talk a minute about your deck. So, first deck, angel prayers, oracle cards. So, a lot of people are going to be curious about those kinds of products. So, like, Kyle, did you get an advance? Do you get an advance when you do a deck? I did actually get an advance. At first, with the Hay House, when I done my first book, and they said no, and I wasn't well-established enough to have a card deck at the time, and that my idea wasn't on point. And then when I came up with the angel prayers technique that I had been doing, and I kind of combined that with a deck, I know that sounds like dick to you guys, because my, my Scottish. <laughs> I, I had noticed, but thank you for the visual. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, I had, <laughs> I had um, decided I'd put them together and I'll go to Hay House with it but this is how I did my proposal I found this really amazing artist who's a bit of a flake to be honest as artists are <laughs> and they know that so it's not like I'm speaking bad about them and I gave them some money to make some pictures and they made this amazing picture of Archangel Michael and I stuck I got it on a 90 centimeters by 60 centimeters mm. canvas I stuck mm-hmm. a proposal in with it and I sent it to Hay House. Oh, nice. And I knew that if they could see the artwork for how incredible it was, they wouldn't say no. And again, you know, by the end of the week, they gave me a deal very quickly. It was much lower than a book deal because it's a very costly thing to create. But the whole experience of doing it was amazing. And the truth was... I didn't really care again about the money because I just wanted my own cards and I didn't want 
you know, the idea it was just incredible to me. So, yeah, it was really good. We had some hang-ups, so it's currently off the market because it had to be updated. And it's re-releasing in October this year with some changes, which I'm really happy about. I've had really great experiences with publishing, and I've also had real hang-ups with it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, people throwing curveballs and people making mistakes and stuff. You mean, like, somehow. life? <laughs> isn't that, isn't uh, that yeah. like, most things? <laughs> Yeah, like life and people sending you lawyers letters and trying to sue your pants off. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So that's the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, one of our questions we ask in the rapid fire is, like, when did you know that you arrived? But I'm going to answer that for myself. I knew that I'd arrived the first time someone tried to sue me. I was like, (laughs) damn, I am big shit now because someone's coming after you. And I just think you will not get through the creative, public, professional milieu, huh? another French word, without someone trying to sue you. I, um, think, I think I heard Mark Victor Hansen years ago say that if you're not being sued, you're not taking enough of a stand. You're not putting big enough opinions out there. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. I've just kind of been <laughs> having that whole experience recently of, okay, The first one was someone trying to sue me because they had the same copyright as me, but just in a different turf. And that was interesting. And then, like, a year and a half later, they sent me this, like, fangirl email, like, oh, my God, you're so amazing. (laughs) Um, So that's (laughs) happened. And then I've also had, like, a lot of people making stands of public appearances. Like, I've had, obviously, like, church scores at my events, and I've also had people requesting I don't speak in their college or their university because it doesn't go with the religious values. Uh, (laughs) Um, I've had all of that recently and it's quite amazing because I'm like, oh my God, people really feel that I can turn people. (laughs) It's so funny. You know what, Kyle, that's really interesting you bring that up because I was so shocked last year when I went, Oprah Winfrey did a tour of the United States where she gave these big seminars and they were very, very successful. And it was in a stadium and I want to say there were probably maybe 30,000 people, so incredibly popular, right? And so all along, as we were waiting to get into the stadium the first night, Friday night, There was a line wrapped around the building because, you know, it takes a long time to fill in 30,000 people into a building. And there were haters with megaphones. I don't know if you've seen this, Danielle. Outside, screaming full blast about how evil Oprah was and how she was the Antichrist and how she was bringing down, you know, society and how you listen to her stuff and it's against all morals and, you know, it's sinful and on and on and on. And they would not stop and they were yelling and they were tag teaming. There was a whole slew of these guys. And so I went up to a policeman and I said, this is so loud and it's so disruptive. I mean, you know, we're talking about people with their friends and their families and people were so excited to get into this event. We hadn't seen Oprah live in years, right? And, And she hasn't been on TV to the same degree with a studio audience in years. And so that was that fun celebratory feel. And the man just said to me, we hate it. Everybody hates it, but it's freedom of speech, and it's just the way it goes. And I thought, well, this is duality, right? Jesus was hated by half of the people. You put something beautiful out into the world, and you're always going to have that shadow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kyle, when was the time? Maybe you don't feel this way. I hope you do. But when you really felt like you'd made it, you'd arrive somewhere you wanted to arrive. What was that moment for you? 
You know, I'll tell you when I kind of call it when the feathers hit the fan. That's my kind of phrase. <laughs> I knew I knew that my life was going to be different when I was a writer for a newspaper for five years, and I got a column as an angel expert, which was mm. never heard of. And the first week, basically, what happened was I'll give you the lowdown very quickly. Because of the kind of spiritual, intuitive, psychic nature of the work I did, people either believe in it or they don't. But the editor of the newspaper had organized all of his journalists to write anonymous letters to me. And I was to answer them and that would print as the first ever column. And I answered them all with such precision. (laughs) And... um, they printed it, and the first week, the mailman comes to the door with three sacks of letters. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Of people writing to me, and I remember just kind of like having one of those, <laughs> <laughs> you know, those, that, the ugly laugh sign, and, um, you know, like, I just knew then that things were going to get a little bit different for the next while. So that's when I kind of felt like, yep, shit's going down. <laughs> Wow. Okay, best mistake, career or otherwise? Best mistake, having an agent. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh One, the agent was great because they got me a publishing deal. Like, that was the best thing. But then they basically had money of mine for over a year that they never told me about so what yeah it was quite a crazy experience if anyone's listening to this and they want an agent be very particular about who you choose as your agent and make sure that you can really keep track on everything that's happening because you know I was 22 money was coming in like more than any other 22 year old you know and I didn't even have track on it I was on an aircraft with one of my fellow authors and he says, how was your royalty statement last month? And I was like, my royalty statement? What's a royalty statement? When do I get a royalty statement? And, you know, like as soon as I landed, I call up Hay House and it turns out there was like £8,000 missing. So uh, best because, yes, they helped me get a publishing deal. And it was a mistake at the same time because I kind of knew all along that they weren't completely genuine. But now I wrote my mum's name as my agent, so she gets the 10%. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a good thing to do. Okay, talk to us about your creative rhythm. So you already mentioned, you know, with the last book, eight months, you know, the advance allowed you to do that, which is exactly what the advance is supposed to allow writers (laughs) to do. Yeah. But it doesn't always. It depends on the amount of advance. It depends on your lifestyle. It depends on work, all of that. So, but what's your creative rhythm? So when, when you carve out that so, time, what do you do? I just finished another book. The deadline was two weeks ago. So I just finished my fifth book. The creative rhythm for that was lots of space and being okay with having days you don't write anything. That was the first thing I always kind of made cool for myself because there seems to be this idea that, you know, you go and you sit at the desk and holy shit, you've got loads to write about. But (laughs) when time's on your side, that seems fine. So for me, it was lots of yoga and just making space to write, you know, just sitting down and a thousand words came through, brilliant. If you wrote a full chapter, even more amazing. And then also just being cool with nothing, you know, like not having anything. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you know when you're done? How do you know when you're done? Usually some sort of poem or something like a poem will come out of me for books because I usually like to finish with something that's quite, you know, like a final thought or a final message. So usually that happens for me. I've got the poem of my newest book here, which I'll share with you if you want at some point. Mm. Let's do that for closing. Yeah. Oh, okay, perfect. cool. Kyle, I'm assuming that you pray before you write, mm. as many, many best-selling writers do. Can you tell us if you do indeed pray before you write? And if so, what does that look like? So my prayer practice is very consistent. Um, I pray all the time. Like, I literally am the drop to your knees guy at any given moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> Me too. Uh, so, but I honestly do just... Uh, I pray all the time, but usually my prayer is thank you, angels, for allowing me to be your voice. And then I usually say thank you, angels, for speaking through me. That's usually my two kind of things that I'll say. Beautiful. Because I kind of feel like you are recruited as a writer of your subject. And, you know, you're recruited by the energy that's harnessed by that subject. And it's a privilege to be a writer. So I always just kind of say thank you for allowing me to be your voice. And if you are a writer of mechanical engineering, you can still speak to the energy of mechanical engineering and say thank you for allowing me to be your voice. You know what? This brings up a really interesting topic. I saw on your Facebook that you were writing about how much you love automatic writing. Oh, that was my friend that said that. I just oh oh because it reminded me when I was in high school, I got an automatically written letter from somebody from supposedly my higher self, and it really informed the rest of my life. I still have the letter. It was so beautiful, and it was sort of prescriptive about the future, and I followed it very carefully. Do you do those letters for yourself? Do you get them? Do you believe in them? Do you have anything to say on that for writers? I mean, I went to a psychic college, so it was very... (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of natural for me. I, You know, like at the weekend, people would be out trying pot. I was at seances. You know, that was a weird upbringing. So, yeah, I tried it. For me, I'm more of an audience person. Mm -hmm. If I hear something, I'll write it down. But for me now, whenever I'm writing, it's like I'm accessing a deeper aspect of me that already knows, and it's my job to remember. So that's what it is for me now. Beautiful. Mm, beautiful. Best advice that you've ever been given in terms of the business of writing and being creative? My mom's always just told me to be as honest as I need to be. You know, I've always been like the say it how it is kind of person, and I kind of get cranky when I'm not so my mum's always just said just stay how it is don't beat around the bush as usual as she says and um, yeah don't beat around the bush that's the best guidance I've ever been given <laughs> <laughs> is that British I don't know <laughs> no that's good all right can we talk about forgiveness for a second since this is one of yeah, your of areas of expertise have you mm. ever had to have any sort of major forgiveness work in your publishing career? So when I wrote the book about forgiveness, I thought I knew what forgiveness was. And then <laughs> I, and then the universe is a different idea. So when I was writing the book of forgiveness, I experienced firsthand many different 
letdowns and the feeling of persecution and all these different things. So in publishing, though, I think I've done okay. I feel like I've been very supported. The only hang-up I had was with the agent, and that was that. And also, when my first book came out, someone you know, trying to sue me because the title was their trademark. But apart from that, it's been okay. It's, I don't feel there's anything been really horrendous, which is good, I suppose. <laughs> you know, that, again, brings up an interesting topic. Danielle and I are friends with Ariel Ford. Do you know her? Yes, yeah, so she connected to Debbie Ford. Right, sister. So Ariel told me early on in my career that whenever you're writing about one thing, you have to experience the opposite of it when you publish. And so I had written a book called Lives Charmed, in part because throughout my life, everybody always asked me why I was so charmed. Well, as soon as the book came out, I had so much bad fortune that I ended up saying I should do the sequel and call it Lives Harmed. So I asked Ariel about that. I said, why do you think that happens? And We knew authors who had written spiritual books on all sorts of things and then experienced exactly the opposite at the same time, just what you're talking Mm. about. Even after Debbie wrote Spiritual Divorce, which was such a great bestseller, she ended up having a really, really difficult divorce after that. And so when I asked Ariel, we kind of came up with the idea that the universe wants us to understand our topics so completely that because we're putting ourselves out there as an expert on something, we have to really experience the full breadth of it. But I don't want to live like that anymore. So I've decided that I'm going to put in a different order next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that that was going to occur the way it did. So it was almost like when you sign the contract, you're literally signing (laughs) So I think this is a really important message for all speakers and authors and creators is if you feel you really know what you know, then do it. But if you feel like you're a little bit or you're writing about something that really isn't true, the universe will point out when you're being phony. I think that's the truth. You know, it's going to throw a curveball at you if you're not standing in what you feel you're teaching. It's kind of like this. I'm a huge yoga person. Like It's my whole kind of daily practice. I I rise at five every morning or sometimes half past, depending on how I'm feeling, to go and practice. And it's like, you don't want to go to a yoga class where the teacher hasn't done a practice in two years, do you? You want to know (laughs) they're doing it. And so I think it's the same thing as like you're going to a spin class. You don't want the spin teacher just to be standing there like, yeah, (laughs) look at those people, you know? (laughs) So... If you're going to write about something, it's so important to write with an open heart and some experience. And when I was writing Forgiveness, I basically said in it, you know, oh my God, this has been a major hang up for me, you know, and I was clean about everything, even my body hang up, all that stuff, because I knew that I had to be in order to make people feel comfortable with the subject as well. Okay, this is the uh, multiple choice segment of the interview. Okay, you ready? Oh. Mm. Okay. Uh, dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Dark. Dark silver or gold? Oh, gold, always. Always, right? Would you go for a paper day planner? Like, do you need, like, pen and ink or digital? No, I'm very digital. Very digital. Okay, well, I'm creating an app for you. New York or L.A.? New York every time. Every time. And this isn't multiple choice, so I really want to know. And I know it's hard to pick one, but just do it. Favorite angel. Favorite angel. 
Jeremiah. So give us a few sentences on Jeremiah. And I've heard you talk about him before. And he's like the underrated angel. Yeah, I'm into the ones that aren't so known, to be honest. Jeremiah is the angel of forgiveness. His name, Jeremiah, is from the Hebrew, which means the mercy of God. So he's all about helping us embody the idea of mercy and being merciful. And he helps you basically take an inventory of your life in order to heal or smooth over any aspects that are left undealt with. Mm. And he carries a big torch. We have a lot of people in this group, myself included, who are writing memoirs. What do the angels have to say about writing about other people, which can be really tricky? Oh, that's an interesting one. So can I just check? A memoir, is that like someone's life story? Exactly. It's a portion of a life. So a full life story is an autobiography, and a memoir is a section of the life. It could be a summer. It could be 10 years. But it's very personal, and none of us live in a vacuum, as you know. So we have to write about people in our lives. Right. You know, one of the things that I always do when I'm writing about someone is I always imagine myself as them reading it back. Yeah. I do too. And that's the way I do it. It's like, if I was this person, um, how would I feel if I wrote it? And the truth is, I've only learned that more recently. Because, you know, like, I wrote about people in my book. They knew I wrote about them because they signed the waiver. And then they came up and they went, what age do you think I am? And, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you consider me as curvaceous, do you? And, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so... Now I actually change people's names and I don't tell them I've wrote about them and I've changed the story a little bit because I learned the first time when I especially wrote about someone and their boyfriend by name and they did not like it. (laughs) 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 So if you're going to do it, make them sign a waiver. (laughs) So from a spiritual perspective, and I know this has held me up for years and I know it holds up other people, You don't want to write from an angry place and you don't want to write from a point of view of trying to make yourself look good at the expense of somebody else. But if somebody's hurt you and it's part of the story, um, energetically, karmically, how do you look at that? So here's the coolest thing about an angel. They can't have any judgment on any form in any way. (laughs) So... Maybe you're feeling like the bad ass when you're writing about someone. The angels still adore you. That's the coolest thing about it. Uh However, they always encourage you to take the highest road. And that's not for their benefit. It's for yours because they know that everything's going to constantly have some sort of cause and effect into your life. And so therefore, whenever I write, I always ask myself, just kind of like those bangles people used to wear, what would Jesus do? I always say, how would an angel react? Or how would an angel deal with this situation? Mm, Nice. You know, for me to kind of ask the angels on anything, it takes a little time for me to process it, but I just kind of get the feeling that the angels would always ask for everyone to be honoured for who they are. And their kind of view on it is everyone is essentially loved at some point. Right. Mm. <laughs> so juicy. Be, um, they are loud, mm. but they'll be an asshole. So it's just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Was that Buddha that said that, or is that a kind of grace? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Buddha in me. 
I don't want to sound ageist. We often close with this question about what's the song that still must be sung. And I know, because I know you, you have an opera, and it would be a rock opera, and you would look really hot. <laughs> you still have a rock opera. But just that creative feeling, like what's the next song that you want to be singing in terms of what you're giving to the world? You know, it's really interesting because the stage I'm at right now, and I'll be really honest, is I used to see clients all of the time, and then I got more creative with my ideas so that I didn't have to do it as much. And my kind of want now is instead of me giving people the answers, I want them to really find them on their own, and that's why I don't do as many private sessions now, because I just feel like... I didn't like this idea that people were relying on me rather than their own self-contained, you know, unique power. And that's so important because, I mean, I've come from a psychic world and the idea that someone was relying on my insight before their own judgment, that, I think that's terrifying. Mm. So for me now, it's, it's kind of like helping people realize that they've got what they're looking for. Oh. Mm. Wow. Beautiful. 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 Kyle, you are light. This is so juicy. We're so grateful. And we would love it if you dialed back and closed with the prayer or the poem that you mentioned that has come at the end of your most recent book. Okay. So I'll tell you a little backstory behind it. I was initiated into Kriya Yoga and... They gave me a name, which was Kai Bal Yananda, which supposedly means the vortex of bliss. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but it's called Kai Bal Yananda, and I'll read it to you. It goes, I am one with all that is, breathing, moving, expressing, and receiving. I inhale bliss, eternal prana, the energy of the cosmos. As I exhale, I share this divine essence with the physical and non-physical around me. My heart is one and all. It is the divine kiss on your forehead and the blood that flows through your organs. Feel me in your center, within your internal fire, the cosmic inspirer awakening your will. The divine power to create and change is alive, ready to manifest and share. You are a star shining in the galaxy of my being. It is your time to light up the world and the universe because that is who you are. You are the universe. Thank you. Mm. Beautiful. I hand-folded bow to your divine fire. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah, the divine Mm. fire. That has definitely influenced off of you. I've really started to embrace my fire as a PDS. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that posed the core desired feelings or core desired fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Thank you, Kyle, so much. Thank you pleasure. so much for holding the space for me to share. It was great. Mm, mm. All love. Thank you, everybody. Go right. Right with fire. Love. Mwah. Love. To hear more of our chats and find out how we can support you on your writing journey, head over to beautifulwriterspodcast.com, where you can subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. 
Danielle and I are so grateful you've spent your time with us. Until next time, right on. <laughs>